Episode 190, dated Friday the 11th of February 2011, Survival Horror. Last week's conversation with Josh Garrity about crowning the new kings of the genre, what you didn't hear was a 10-minute segue into survival horror and how it developed over the years. We decided instead to expand that into a full show since it's a subject close to our hearts and seemingly endlessly relevant to the ever-changing face of gaming. Joining us, we have Gary Zantiriad-Blower, who by his own admission isn't a fan of being scared by games. Hello, Gary. Hello. Thank you for having me. And back on the show for a full-blown debate are James Midgemeister Perkins and Darren Desmond Gargett from the I Don't Know Fucking Anything or IDKFA podcast. Hello, James and Des. Hello. Hello. Now, there's over a hundred games that could be described as survival horror, and everybody has a favourite. If we don't mention yours, it's not because we don't think it's important or that we're gaming philistines. It's that we never had the pleasure of coming across it at the time. Use this opportunity to mention it to everyone in the forums. So, question one. How do we define survival horror? Right, I've got the Wikipedia definition here refers to a subgenre of action adventure video game which draws heavily upon the conventions of horror fiction the player character is vulnerable and underarmed which puts emphasis on puzzle solving and evasion rather than violence games commonly challenge the player to manage their inventory and ration scarce resources such as ammunition another major theme throughout the genre is that of isolation typically these games contain relatively few non-playable characters and as a result frequently tell much of their story second hand the use of journals, texts, or audio log. While many action games feature lone protagonists versus swarms of enemies in a suspenseful environment, survival horror games are distinct from otherwise horror-themed action games. Rather, they de-emphasize combat in favor of challenges, such as hiding or running from enemies and solving puzzles. Still, it's not unusual for survival horror games to draw upon elements from first-person shooters, action-adventure games, or even role-playing games. Survival horror is different from typical game genres in that it is not defined strictly by specific mechanics, but subject matter, tone, pacing, and design philosophy. That was actually really well put. Quite yeah, impressed. Well. Wikipedia. <laughs> well, that defines it, but you know, surely we can add to that. I mean, uh, what, why don't we just bullet point? If you're thinking about a survival horror game, what is a pretty much consistent set of rules that run throughout? I mean, maybe you could violate one or two, but all of them, and it's not a survival horror. I'll say the first one I always think of, think about is the is claustrophobia. Claustrophobia. Um, I mean, not not every survival horror game conforms to that, but it's always. It's it's always a kind of I, I don't know. There's always there's always some kind of presence there that that makes you feel like you're being pinned in, whether it's pinned in mm. by hordes of zombies or whether it's you know you're in some sort of deserted house and, and mm. you can't find your way out. Mm. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. There's a sense of I mean, I mean that could then go to the the fact that the main goal is usually escape from a dire situation. 
Well, survive. But not just survive, because ultimately you could be at home surviving, but uh, there have been no survival horror games to date where you're in your own home. It's it's much more a case of you've gone to a mansion or a, a police station or a castle or somewhere you have to explore and then eventually get away. Yeah, but see, now just think of that game. That's really like to set a light bulb in my head. You've got to fortify your home, and stuff like Call of Duty, um, zombies and, and whatnot have done this. Mm. But, you know, we, it's your own home, and you've got to board up the windows, and they're slowly being taken down. Still a survival horror, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, a, it's something that's not been done, aren't you? But it would be interesting just kind of making everyday environmental stuff you have in your house, and you've got to survive with it. And that would bring it to my point. I think um, item management certainly used to play a huge part of this, whether it be lack of their uh, lack of ammo, um having to control health herbs as we normally know from the Resident Evil series mm-hmm. like I, said, I think that's that's somewhat changed now but it was always that was part of the survival technique which is hold stuff for when you absolutely desperately need it mm. it was always the survival part mm. and management in terms of that you were yeah thinking to yourself if I don't use this herb now I might die and you know, if I use it now what lies around that corner yeah. because I can get maybe one or two more bites before or hit or whatever before this herbs then becomes really important yeah but you'd often find yourself using herbs as a means to acquiring a new item as well i was playing the resi remake on the gamecube mm-hmm. uh or the original and i found like my, my inventory was just full instantly because i've been hoovering everything up because i play things like dead space mm-hmm. now and i've yeah. gotten used yeah. to just becoming a human hoover and just sucking it all in and i couldn't complete puzzles now because i just had like a thousand bullets on me. I was just like, well, I'm over in combat. How did you get a thousand bullets in Resident <laughs> Evil? <laughs> Slightly. 62. <laughs> I was just like, well, right, I'm full up now. What do I do? And it's like, you need a crest for this door as you do in Resident Evil. Yeah. I was like, I can't do anything. What do I do? So I had to eat a herb and then that put even more tension on me to get through like this Because that was your only herb. That was my only herb. I ain't oh, got geez. any more. Yeah, well, yeah, no, that's the thing, because like, you, you, when you think, well, I'm going to go off and solve this puzzle, well, I'll get all four pieces of this sodding crest. <laughs> well, that takes up two-thirds of my inventory. What else have I got? A oh, shotgun yeah. and shotgun ammo. Brilliant. <laughs> but remember that then you always have that rocket launcher sitting there. You're going, this one, there will be a boss, which this will be absolutely vital to take <laughs> down. Yeah. Yet it takes up half my infantry. Yeah. Uh, do I drop this and have more you know, surviving with herbs, or do I save this because ultimately I'm going to need you know, ammo to kill this boss? Uh, and it's kind of like the, the catch-22, because then you're going to need more herbs if you've only got a, a, a pistol. So, survival. This is a piece I wrote as part of a five-essay celebration of uh, the release of Resident Evil 5 two years ago, but it's actually incredibly relevant right now. Uh, this one was called Inventory Full. Originally, Chris Redfield could carry six items, and Jill Valentine, being a resourceful woman with more pockets, had room for eight. This led to ridiculous leaps in logic regarding the relative mass and weight. So a shotgun, it would seem, took up the same space as a key. Other games like Fallout have attempted to deal with this conundrum by assigning weight to each item, keys and food usually equating to a tiny fraction of that of a weapon. Yet still, neither had it right. In Fallout, the designers would have you believe that your hero could cart around ten assault rifles, a few rocket launchers, and a host of other weapons before he would start to feel it and have trouble running. Yet for game after game, if Chris or Liam were holding a pistol, shotgun, and the relevant ammo, plus a key and a crank, he would, when confronted with a vital life-giving herb, be unable to stuff it into a spare pocket, or, most ridiculously of all, simply consume it on the spot. 
Instead, you had to hightail it to the nearest safe room, dump a few items in the trunk, and then traipse back to the herb. Resident Evil Zero on the GameCube made another attempt to advance this by having Rebecca swap her items for what was lying on the floor. This solved nothing, as backtracking for whatever you swapped it for was inevitable. But at least it made more real-world sense. The magic trunks in every safe room had a strange reassuring quality, big enough to contain every item in a game and transport them to various locations, often miles apart. They made up the core item management home base that allowed you to feel like you were taking part in a genuine zombie movie, with limited resources and careful planning of trips around the house slash police station required as a central facet of the gameplay. Bullets were wholly finite. There were about 500 handgun bullets in the game, and they had to be used sparingly, as and when you found them. Even saving had a tinge of danger to it, as with ink ribbons, you had to find your saves, hidden in the bookshelves, drawers, and assembled clutter of a spooky old mansion. Save too often, and you might not have many chances left to continue. Then came Resident Evil 4, and it all changed. No longer were there a set number of bullets in the game. Hoarding ammo was counterproductive, and rather than a vast labyrinth of locked rooms, puzzles, and backtracking, Leon Kennedy was faced with a relatively linear path of fast zombie action. Sharpshooting rewarded ammo, so the more you used your guns, the more regular the flow was. The inventory was also changed. Leon now carried everything with him in a briefcase, and the arms trade was brought in, with the introduction of the mysterious and charismatic Australian. Welcome! Oh, <laughs> what are you buying? He would shout, what are you selling? What are you buying? And he would shout for a high price. <laughs> <laughs> Thank oh. you. And we would smile and gaze upon his wares and try to fit them into our case. Sorting, changing positions and selling items became a new mini-game and a welcome addition to the series. This is when Resident Evil stepped up and out of the Dark Ages into the next century and both rode in on a wave of action games and also spawned the stylizations of more to come. Gears of War, Dead Space and Alone in the Dark all profoundly influenced by this one and in turn all of the Gears clones that are now emerging wretchedly from the shadows like postmodern slasher films in the years after Scream. Digital Cowboy's poll always expressed extreme gratitude to Capcom for these changes and for the many others in full. In his words, it was as though the developers had asked themselves, what would Paul like to see in a Resident Evil game? The answer was more action, less backtracking, better controls and more precise aiming and less faffing about. Now, Resident Evil 5 is here, and I am three sections in, and after struggling with the inventory system, I can honestly say I miss the Australian. More than that, I miss the attaché cases, I miss the magic trunks, and I even miss the safe rooms. Because while there are safe havens, the only time you get to really mess about with what you have in your nine slots per character is on a static screen before the selected level starts, and you're once again loaded into the zombie cannon and fired down a tunnel of shacks and market streets. You assign weapons to each direction on the D-pad, mimicking gears and ammo and healing items to the corner. It's that simple. It's that boring. And honestly, in this writer's thoroughly biased opinion, all the sparkle has gone out of the world of inventory management. Crucially, the action no longer pauses when you check your supplies, and you're likely to be attacked if you stop for even a moment to look. So it's more an issue of knowing what you have and taking fleeting jumps in and out to throw your partner some relevant ammo. It's a different type of game. You have to survive one onslaught after another, and it is indeed horrific. But I dispute on a fundamental level that this is any longer definable as survival horror. The conundrum is, of course, how do you take it back to the days of inventory management without losing the tension and all the progression in game design that's been made? Or is it even a step backwards? Because now, in the frantic, never-ending chase through the African back alleys and marshlands, I'm coming across items I can't pick up. Because my inventory is full. (laughs) 
Okay, so any other hallmarks of the survival horror? The only thing I can really think of is like proper true survival horror is like immobility in your character. Mm. Uh, sort of. Immobility or mobility? Yeah, uh, immobil- uh, immobility, as in like um, the controls on the original Resident Evil games were were pretty naff but it also added to the tension do you mm. know what I mean like, yeah. and the, the camera angles the way it was all shot like you couldn't see a zombie around the corner yeah. and when you it, when could it hear got, it often though, that yeah, shut you up you could see the shadow banging on the window or something and then you, you know, you'd go around the corner it would break through the window and your controls were rubbish you know and you had to stand still to fire your gun and you mm. know you couldn't really turn around really quick I mean you could press down on the on the, on the, on the C-stick oh, this is GameCube by the way and uh, turn around quickly but yeah. more often than not you turn around like a tank and just sort of slowly pivot around and then run away because you're just panicking yeah um, I, I keep going back towards the original Resident Evil games for, for like you know survival horror because I think that's like the pinnacle of survival horror especially the mansion it's just uh, it's just a hallmark for survival horror for me and yeah. uh, if not the defining moment of when people, you know, when people finally were aware that this was actually a genre. Well, I, I think it's it's more simple than that. Um, mm-hmm. Not want to stamp over so many topics that we've got written down here, but you know, from what I can see, I, I think the Resident Evil series was where controls had developed to a point where you know you could you know, 3D character, you can interact, you know, a lot more mm-hmm. fluidly on a screen and a lot more believable. So you know you became scared I remember being very scared of the original Resident Evil certainly like I said with the dogs that came through the window and stuff like that that stuff sticks in my mind now but at the same time we've gone so far down the technology path with games that the idea of limited um, management of infantry just seems ridiculous to us because we've we've kind of conquered how you can actually do games beyond that Mm. Um, and I think it was just a perfect moment of you know the technology being at the right place and the ideas being you know, at the right time. So I, I don't think we ever will quite have that pinnacle of what survival horror was doing back then because I think some of the, it was actually techno- technological limits that were preventing us and actually you know, making games a bit more scary with that uh, fact because the tank controls, you know, we didn't know any better. Could you imagine going back to tank controls now? Obviously Resident Evil 5 did that, but it, it feels alien to us. Mm. Well, I'm not so sure it did, and I, I never bought the argument at the time that the the bad controls in Resident Evil were by design. They they were more of the, an issue really of how Capcom inve- in, interpreted the original PlayStation's controller, which of course didn't mm-hmm. have the analog sticks on it. And I mean, at, at the same time that came out, you had um, a Lara Croft, a t- Tomb Raider, and mm-hmm. um, I remember you know playing Tomb Raider and being really impressed by how well it controlled, and then I played Resident Evil and just thought it was horrific, and I think that's probably what they wanted. Well, I'm not so sure. I I think, for me, it's not a question of limited controls. It's limited visibility that Mm -hmm. that is the definition of survival horror. So even in the the days now of analog controls, though the the same visibility tricks are still used. So you you take something like Dead Space or um, Silent Hill Shattered Memories, where uh, key points in those games, you're reliant on on using a flashlight or a torch to actually see where you're going. So that... That, that again brings in that kind of claustrophobia in the sense of the, 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 the environment you're in closing in on you and not being able to see what's around the corner. And I think in the original Resident Evil games, that was done through the fixed camera angles and, yep. and the kind of map paintings as opposed to the controls themselves. The poor controls were just accepted because that's just how they, those games played. I, I don't I honestly don't think they were by design uh, until later on, you know, when things like Resident Evil 4 and 5 where um, when you actually aim, you stand still because again, when you aimed, it then gave you a very narrow field of view. So, again, you didn't know what was in your periphery. 
So sort of trying to recreate those same uh, those same effects. If we made a giant list of uh, games that could be considered survival horror, and there seemed to be three very specific phases. There was uh, if you start at 1982 with 3D Monster Maze, going all the way through the Clock Tower in 1995. These were sort of the pre-Resident Evil games. And then when Resident Evil came along in 1996, that brought survival horror to the masses. I mean, the fact that it was on the PlayStation, it was all 3D, certainly didn't hurt. And the fact that it was very cinematic, even though the acting was terrible and the, the cinematics were terrible, <laughs> um, kind of, it went, it went by the by. It was sort of part of its charm. And you just, so many other games that followed after that, between 1996 and 2005, uh, took their cue from Resident Evil. I mean, a lot of them may have taken their cue from earlier games, but uh, Resident Evil was a trendsetter and, and, and it began the second era. So that went all the way through to Call of Cthulhu, Dark Corners of the Earth in 2005, and then the third generation started then with the immediate release of Resident Evil 4, which took us up to this year, because that kind of changed everything around, because it made, it made survival horror twinned with action games. It, it made it possible. It took away a lot of what had gone before, though. So let's discuss Resident Evil 4 and why it changed. Well, I think the, the most obvious one is the, is the camera angle, isn't it, really? Over the yeah. shoulder. It's just blatant. Like, as soon as you get into Resident Evil 4, that's the first thing you notice. You're like, well, they've done away with the pre-renders, and um, they've gone for you know full polygonal world. And, uh, yeah, over the shoulder. It is important to remember that uh, Code Veronica did actually have a free-roaming kind of camera. It was still fixed, but as you moved along, the camera moved with you and then uh, and then changed around. It's a, it's a bit more subtle than uh, than Resi 4. And Resident, I've got to say, Code Veronica is probably the most underrated of the Resident Evil games and the most underplayed. It came out on the Dreamcast, and as such, not enough people got to play it. And then when it came out on the PS2, everyone was already kind of geared up for Resi 4 coming out. So uh, it was kind of, it, it went by the by. And also at the time, everyone was kind of getting geared up for, for you know, bigger, explosive new sort of PS2 games. So technically, it being an old Dreamcast game kind of held it back. But it's, it's re- I mean, I'm amazed you, Midge, haven't played it. Seeing as you, how much you bum Wesker... <laughs> this is this is the first game where Wesker turned up and was super powered, yeah. and uh, it's got a huge expansive story, and it goes on for way longer than you'd imagine. Then and, and it goes deep into the whole the the uh, the Ashford family um, stuff. It's, it's for, for Resident Evil fiction fans, it's a mecca. And then it's just like kind of the last swan song to Umbrella because um, as of Resident Evil Four, it just it started from scratch and it said right, okay, Ganadas now, no more zombies. It, it also for me contains the pitfalls of survival horror. Yeah, I mean, to, tell well us about your situation with that. Yeah, well, I mean, part, to me, part of survival horror, and, and it certainly was back when Co Veronica was doing the rounds, and you know, the, the Resident Evil series, and even Silent Hill to a degree, um, was as I've previously said, the management system, and with that comes the management of ammo. Now, I managed to get myself in a ridiculous situation in Co-Veronica. I absolutely loved the game. I was you know, drink, a massive Dreamcast fan, like most of our listeners, no doubt. Um, and it was on a plane, wasn't it, Al? Yeah, you, you get off the first island and you get onto a bomber, but then a tyrant gets on with you. Yes. Oh, shit. People, people who know that game and know the tyrant know it's utterly, yeah, ridiculously scary. <laughs> they freak you out. They, they hunt you throughout that game. Well, actually, yeah. no, it's for, isn't it? They hunt you. But And this, Co-Veronica, they hunt you as well. And I got myself in a situation where I, I clearly wanted to get to this plane. Mm. And I must have used up most of my infantry of ammo getting to this. Or point. maybe not found enough of the hidden ammo or something like that. Not, but not enough herbs. Um, and did I you have one save? 
Yeah, but you got to remember it's the VMU unit. I, I Christ knows what happened. <laughs> I ended up with one save on this plane against a tyrant with pretty much a one bullet in the gun. And uh, for yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I got stuck. That's that's oh. where Coveronica ended for me. And that's like that's a good. It was a good. It's like twenty hours. Four Twenty hours? Yeah, it was a good chunk into that game. It's a it's a big game, so yeah, maybe. Um and yeah, survival that horror. There we sucks. go. Guys. I got stuck. You and failed I to survive. survive. Yeah. Didn't survive. Game <laughs> oh, no. over. That's that, I mean, that's some of the pitfalls nowadays. Of course, multiple saves and whatnot, and you know, mm. checkpoints. checkpoints and and yeah. Back trip. But yeah, it yeah, that's where it loaded me. I was on the plane, and there was no way of getting off that plane. So and that's bad. Where my experience ended with that game. I would almost. I would almost play through to that bit on PS2 and then you lend me a PS2 memory card <laughs> or in fact I you know I could I could lend you my PS2 with a memory card at that I'd point and allow you to oh, what's the Dreamcast <laughs> I'd have to buy a Dreamcast I'd have to buy this on PS2 play it through to that bit save it at that bit and then go right that's Tony's save now you may continue with the rest of this game I want right, to yeah. give you that opportunity so Resident Evil 4 yeah, so Resident Evil 4 <laughs> changed the whole thing around. Could I just say something about checkpoints and saves? Yeah, okay, go. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, you, Tony, talking about the um, checkpoints and save system, that, I think, is also um, a really defining part of the survival horror genre. Mm. Um, with the introduction of hardcore mode in Dead Space 2, for example, um, only having the ability to save three times through the entire game, that really puts a lot of pressure on the player. Because you've got to think, right, I might, you know, I might know what's coming around this corner, but do I want to save now or will I want to save it in, you know, a bit further on in the game? Because if I save it now and then get to that bit and die, I'm going to do all this again. Yeah, so I, that's an, another uh, thing that you've got to take into consideration when I, planning, planning your next move. I definitely think we're, we're going to cover a lot of that stuff in the back end of the show of where we mm. actually think survival horror has gone and what mm. it's maybe morphed into and how it's got there. So, But yeah, that's a good point. I mean, checkpoint systems and games, are, you know, even if they're not survival horror games, can turn into a survival horror game just for a very bad checkpoint, whether it be anything. Platforming yeah. game. <laughs> just throw pad across the room. <laughs> <laughs> turning points in both Resident Evil 4 and 5 are when the enemies, while always more intelligent than the zombies of previous games, suddenly remove themselves from the horror genre entirely and become gun-wielding soldiers. This is a violation of the basic principles of survival horror. It's a forgivable and at times very exciting move, but the games have drifted far from their predecessors. In Resident Evil games 1 through Veronica, the onus was on managing a slow-moving, slow-witted enemy that was deadly in groups at close range. It was all about the ever-closing distance between you and them and your reactions and decisions on how to spend your very finite ammunition. Accordingly, to balance the game, rather than being a sprightly jumping Dante type, and ironically Devil May Cry was originally going to be a new Resident Evil game, Chris, Jill, Leon and Claire controlled like tanks, running forward with purpose but no agility and turning slowly as you ran so that you always felt like the snapping jaws of the T-Virus carriers were right behind you. It was the tortoise and the hare. 
In Resident... Only this tortoise could eat you alive. In Resident Evil 4, the Ganados use tools. They sprint suddenly and for short periods. It's not charging, screaming masses of the infected like Left 4 Dead, but a quiet, creeping mob motivated by maniacal hatred. They're people under control, not mindless automatons, and they occasionally throw objects at you, but again, in a way you could just about manage. Careful preventative shots detonating dynamite in their savage hands. It was all about finding choke points and making them come to you. Ammo was still scarce and your inventory still had to be managed carefully, but unlike the first games, where there was a fixed amount of bullets to pick up in the game, it was more fluid, case of risk and reward in order to spawn ammo from defeated foes. To accommodate, Leon and Claire are now faster on their feet, but they still can't fire while moving, which maintains the turret aspects of controls, but they are able to deal with the initial waves and some gigantic and deadly bosses in this manner. However... Once you hit the final quarter of both Resident Evil's 4 and 5 and they start shooting at you from vantage points, gun emplacements with crossbows and grenade launchers, you find you're in the middle of something more akin to Gears of War. When they bring out the guy with the fucking minigun, all correlation with the events of Raccoon City evaporate. This is just action, and survival has taken a distant back seat. However, the controls don't match the pace. You don't feel like a trained soldier in these situations, taking out snipers with cover and precision, sprinting and rolling away from enemy fire. You can technically do all these things, but with nowhere near the speed and smoothness that the action games require. In all actuality, when the bullets start flying from anybody aside from you, survival horror ceases to maintain its grasp on the key tenets of tension, item management, and fear of the mob. It most often becomes a badly mismanaged action game with insufficient handling to better its contemporaries. I found this the other day when, uh, Midge, you and I were playing... Um, the DLC on, on the yeah. gold edition of Resi 5. Um, the the second piece of DLC, what's it called? Uh, Desperate Escape. Desperate Escape. It is a Desperate Escape. And you yeah. just, you're just under fire pretty much the entire time. I, I just thought, th- the, this the, the is almost nothing to do with Resident Evil, this. Yeah. Is it, it, it wasn't bad. It just it brought so little resemblance to the original. It, I mean, is, is that necessarily a bad thing? Um, well, I mean, it was annoying and frustrating, so yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean... I only really enjoyed 4 and 5, and, and I think the reason I enjoyed 4 so much is that it, I didn't even consider it to be a Resident Evil game. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I don't have those same sort of hang-ups, really, um, that, that you've just expressed. Uh, uh, I, I, for me, the the problem with the, the, the original Resident Evil games is, that is, first of all, they have zombies, which I find ridiculous anyway. And um, I, I just found the pacing and the writing and everything just... just didn't work for me, but Resident Evil. Oh, this 4, is not Chris's blood. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think Resident Evil Four changed all that in, in many ways. I mean, they by moving it to. I know. Okay, later on you get sort of uh, deep down and in, and dark underground stuff, but by moving it to a village, uh, and I, uh, Five does it as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And have this, you know, this sense of, um, you know, everyone's watching you, and you're not really sure what's going on here, and. People yeah. look like they're real, but they're not real, and, and you know people look like they're alive, and and it really was deeply unsettling, which yeah, yeah. is the thing I find actually the most satisfying in 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 survival horror, really, and and I for me personally the best survival horror games are the ones that make you feel that way. Yeah. And, Mm. Um, one, 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 Believe one, no, seriously, that I'm not in any way slating the atmosphere in Resi Four, and in actually Resi Five is actually really good as well. That uh, it's it's just when they pull out the goddamn guns that you're like, well, hang on a second. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you kind of get the feeling that they feel they they feel they have to do. Yeah, that. to ramp up the volume and, and just go right. Let's have a huge explosive finale. I think that it's a bit of a controversial statement, but I do think there's kind of a crisis of confidence in Japanese game development. Mm. Um, you know, for every Bayonetta where they just go and do what they want, mm. 
they do. I do get the sense, the sense that they are to the west. They are trying to pander to the west, or at least westernise what they do, and and perhaps you know that's an example of that. Yeah, but th- then again, I mean, I, I would argue as much as we're talking about Resident Evil, I think personally Silent Hill was a better game franchise. Yeah. I think it, it was the controls were better. It was more innovative, I think, for the time. You know, yes, it had a lot of fog, which obviously the, the technology it, it was pushing. It was a great way of masking some of the technology boundaries at that time of the PlayStation. But that, to me, that added to the atmosphere. And you know, back to all this stuff that we keep saying, and I completely agree with Zan. It's all to do with atmosphere because mm. mostly, you know, what the great thing about Silent Hill was what you didn't see. It was what yeah. lied beyond that fog. Mm. That you know, the static of the radio. Almost, I mean, Resident Evil certainly had its moment, but. Just that the, the hum of that radio, and when it started yeah. creeping up, and you couldn't see two foot in front of you, and all you had was a lead pipe. To me, that was the like, you know, that's where I was with the PlayStation. Yeah. Um, and yeah, obviously the Silent Hill series we talk about for ages because they got better and better, and then kind of <laughs> drifted again because you know, I agree with Zan, you know, they kind of lack of confidence. But, but then I mean, I, I, I came very late to Silent Hill. I was basically put off Silent Hill games because of the association with Resident Evil, and I just didn't touch them. Yeah. And um. The first Silent Hill game I actually played was uh, Silent Hill Shattered Memories on the Wii, and that, which That's I know is a, it's kind of a remake of, of of the original game, I believe. Kind um, of, yeah. It, that was a complete revelation to me. That I was blown away by how clever that game is, and, and the fact that all of the kind of uh, threat and challenge in that game is purely psychological. You know, uh, I've never ever played anything quite like it. That it's Superb, and, and the fact that there's no combat. I mean, you know, that it doesn't conform to any of the more recent survival horror tropes in that respect. You just have to, okay, you have to run away looking for blue doors, but um, <laughs> you know, you just you just constantly feel under threat. And the fact on the Wii, it was so well implemented because you would get things happen, you know, like uh, noises and stuff would come through the Wii remote, and it would make you leap out of your skin. It really would. Yeah. Um, but the other thing about Silent Hill was that it was deeply psychologically in-depth and scary as hell when you started to really think about what you were facing and what Pyramid Head, for example, represents. I mean, he's scary as shit as it is, but he represents sexual repression, and you'd never get that in Resident Evil. No. That's never I mean, going to happen. Shattered Memories actually learns what you do, and it yeah. adapts. Oh, yeah. And it's absolutely screws with your mind. It's, yeah, incredible. I, you know, If that's what the early Silent Hills were like, then I, I feel ashamed that I never played them. Well, some of the earlier um, the pre-Resident Evil games, specifically, you know, th- uh, things that uh, a lot of them were sort of came out on the 3DO, like uh, D and and uh, the Seventh Guest, were all kind of interactive horror movies. But they were a lot, mm. a lot more psychological as well, and it was a less focus on action. So I think Silent Hill kind of took elements that had been forgotten uh, and, uh, and and incorporated that into a Resident Evil style game. Well, and certainly, Shattered Memories wasn't the only one that was dealing with you know non-combat focused. Mm. Horror type games, stuff like Fatal Frame. You know, back in Christ, what's that? Two thousand and one, isn't it? Yep. You know, on the, yeah, I mean that that you had a camera, and you were running away from people, and you know the flash was part of your weapon and taking the pictures. So you know, I, I, I guess I'm more the person, and you know this. This is true. I, I think Alien is a better film than Aliens because you know both are pretty survival and they, they are horrifying, mm-hmm. but. To me, the psychological aspect is always more scary than just you know things coming at you and and the overwhelming the physical aspect. Yeah, this well the the overwhelming odds that you're not going to survive mm. the situation. You know, I can give or take that. But and and that's where I, I think I'm getting at when I say, I think technology that the the limits of technology 
somehow helped the the survival horror mm. franchises just because now we have all this power to do anything you know we we can draw we can animate the most incredible looking monsters available mm. yet i i prefer walking around the corner not knowing what's around there and the, you know the soundscape something like dead space it was the soundscape that yeah. i yeah. fell in love with that game it wasn't mm-hmm. you know weird man upside down head baby you know, baby child, baby woman. Oh, you met upside down head, baby woman child. Yeah, just you know, that. That that's, it was like, okay, well, fine. I'm going to shoot that and, and whatever. But it, it was just, you know, as you walked into a room and the deafening sound and the light that the, the lampshade that mm. happened to be swinging from side to side and what made it swing and stuff like that. That's what gets me. Mm. So. Mm. And the thing yeah. is, for Silent Hill, the, the whole idea that after you played the first game, you, you realise that most trips to Silent Hill, you're actually going into your own mind, and you're dealing with the shit that your character won't otherwise deal with. And some of it gets so dark and twisted, and it's it's a detective story where you work out how this person got to be where they are. And, and Silent Hill 2, oh, it's fantastic for that. Of, of all the Silent Hill games I've played, I think uh, I really liked Homecoming as well, but Silent Hill 2, I think, is, is a fan favourite. Well, just quickly going back to Dead Space, you mentioned mm-hmm. in the sound design and stuff. Um, Dead Space 2 sort of doesn't really feel like a survival horror on the normal difficulty setting. You're sort of overpowered, like, you know, you're bowling through, just taking limbs off and... Combine said you've got you're a space marine with a plasma rifle that can blow a hole in the side of a ship. It's crazy, yeah. You're just literally just bowling through, like, as if you're, like, you're a Terminator. And you do right. die a few times, and, uh, you know, it's quite comical when he dies because they've got their end of animation stuff. But, um, oh, the, the airlock. <laughs> yeah, the airlock and just squashing him in half and stuff. It's brilliant. That, that game is amazing, but uh, survival horror sort of was removed from it. Um, mm-hmm. The sound design... That the, the only two parts in that game that made me jump in Dead Space 2. The one where a little alarm clock goes off oh, yeah. scared, scared the life out of me. Like, I'd see all these little alarm clocks flashing 12 o'clock everywhere, and I walked past one, it went off, and I was like, like that's the scariest thing I've had in this game so far. Yeah. And then another the bit... The TVs. The TVs, and there's another bit where you're walking along like sort of like a theatre stage, and something happens on there. I'm not going to really spoil it for anyone, because yeah. it's, it's quite a reasonable game, but there's a bit on there... I know I exactly like, what you mean. It wasn't an enemy or anything. It's just like, I was like, oh my god. Like, I had to pause the game for a little bit and just recompose you know, myself and think, Jesus. But Me too as well. I was actually on Skype with some people when that happened and I was just, well, yelping. It was mental. They do some, um, I mean, I'm, I, I haven't finished it yet. I'm up to about chapter 10 now, but they do some quite clever things with safe rooms on that as well, which I won't give away too much. But um, mm. again, there's a kind of established trope in in survival horror that there's certain points you know we have where there's a safe game point or where there's a you know where you can collect stuff that they're safe and they mess with your mind a little bit with those uh, at certain points I mean Clearly I, I, they're not <laughs> I, well you, you'll see um, but I mean I jumped a lot more than that I mean there, there was there was uh, several occasions where there's like um, you're expecting something to happen and it doesn't and then you mm. go somewhere else and then it suddenly does uh, and I actually I actually think in terms of pure uh, dread and terror that Dead Space 2 probably probably tops Dead Space 1. I think Dead Space 1 had a lot more atmosphere because um, I think some of the atmosphere is lost in the kind of vastness of the sprawl but mm. Dead yeah, Space 2 certainly ramps up the the for me, I mean I, I, I'm playing it on easy but I, I, I've died a lot more than you guys and, and those um, the, what I call giant chickens, I think they're called lurkers <laughs> I find those absolutely terrifying. I think Velociraptors is what people it's better describe them as, and and they they scare the shit out of me, because you can't see them, and they and they're so fast. Do you mean the ones that poke their heads around the corner? Yeah, yeah. they're yeah, stalkers. They're stalkers. That's it. And they hunt in packs, and you yeah. for the first time in that game, you feel like there is something out there trying to eat you. 
You yeah. know, more than just trying to kill you, there's something out there that's that's hunting you. Yeah, they are they are horrible. And they, they make a horrible noise. Yeah, um, and they are probably the most terrifying monster in uh, Dead Space 2. I kind of segueing on from 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 Dead Space really. The, I actually think the, the the scariest Dead Space and probably the the best of the three Dead Space is Extraction mm-hmm. because the in with in Extraction you're being directed yeah. to what you can see. So um you're forced to, you know, uh not necessarily well, you're forced you know, your viewpoint is always forced on you. So you're you're forced to look in a certain direction. You have some leeway over it, but you you know, the the game developers in, are able to choreograph the events much better, you know. You could be yeah. like talking to someone and all of a sudden something just bursts through their chest or something. You know, so I, I actually thought that was a superb uh, game and, and uh, hopefully more people will play it now. They did a couple of good scenes as well, they would double take because you'd see something out of the corner of your eye and you're yeah. like, well, they've shown me that on purpose and they, they pan away from you. Okay, well, clearly we didn't need to see that and then suddenly they re-double take back That's to it. it. Yeah. There's things in your face the, and obviously your idea is to be shooting it, but you know, it's, it's so effective. T- the tunnels in that were terrifying when you, because there's a lot of kind of tunnel crawling and, um, certainly in the, 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 the normal Death Space games, they're kind of just excuses to load the next level really. Mm. But in, but in extraction again, they kind of play with you, they play with your, your, um, preconceptions because then they're exactly, that's, that's not, you know, they don't do that at all. You know, they, they tend to kind of mess with you and weird things start to happen. And, uh, there's well, more. More of the psychological uh, kind of torment was introduced in Extraction. Something that Dead Space does really, really well, and which the original Resident Evils did really, really well, and they kind of lost with Resi 4. Again, not criticising Resi 4. It's fantastic. But Dead Space is... You're, you're going through an environment that terrible, terrible things have happened to innocent people. And you're, you're left with, uh, you know, audio logs and, 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 and examples of people who are just killing themselves in front of you. And you think, what the hell happened here? And, and it slowly sort of comes to light. And, and they did that very, very well in, in, uh, in the original Resident Evil. So it's sort of, you, you got, uh, you, you, you turned up a week or so after everything had already gone to hell. Whereas uh, in Resi 4 and 5, everything's gone to hell, but it doesn't really seem like that many people who have, have suffered. It's, it, you know, all the Magini just don't, you don't really feel, you don't eulogize them. You don't feel, what were you in life? Which is a, a damn shame because I felt if you could maybe engage more with these people and, and, and sympathize with them, it would feel like more of a horrific game and less of an action game. Very true. And I'm, I'm confident at this point actually to say, look, I, I think people who have been listening to the show understand what survival horror was what interests me more now and i think this is it will be the, the more the kind of the crux of the conversation is what it's now become mm. because i don't think you know the resident evil style gameplay i think has been and gone I, we don't really see that same style of gameplay anymore nah. it, it, it it's morphed i mean this is what games do and this is you know how the industry grows but stuff like death space is very different i you know from resident evil but it also shares the same characteristics of, of resident evil you know it still set the same goals of wanting to basically scare the living crap out of you mm. so how is it morphed because I mean, there's you can even class stuff now like left for dead obviously you know mm. it you, you have an arsenal to kill things. You know, the, the bullet management isn't really much of a concern in a game like that. Yet the overwhelming odds of these zombies all flying at you in, in such great numbers yeah. doesn't really matter because the bullets can only take down so many zombies at a time. So yeah. I think it's it's more. So let's you know, is there some more recent examples of game that have taken the tropes of survival horror and kind of blend it into the new genre as itself? 
Well, one I was going to mention regarding terrible things happening in a place, Bioshock. Mm. Now, that one we That's could debate all night whether it's a survival horror or not, but ultimately it does share many of the, uh, the, the similarities with the original Resident Evil in that you're coming to a world where something terrible has gone down in recent times and you're just picking through the corpses and the still living. And it's, it's madness. And to begin with, at least... You're very, very underpowered, and you're very, very worried about what you're doing. Most of the splices don't seem to attack you with, with uh, shooting weapons. They all seem to attack you in person, and they're all extremely savage, and it's, it, you've got to fight for your life, and it's vicious as well. And you are most definitely horrified. Yeah. Do you remember you know, when you were just coming out of the diving bell, and then it all goes dark, and then that thing with the claws on the end of its arms starts screaming and smacking at the glass, and you're shitting yourself with fright? That's survival horror there in its purest form. And yet, by the end of the game, you're super overpowered. And if you've been paying attention to the, uh, to, to leveling yourself up and you're just carving through the ranks, but that doesn't make it any less eerie and, and, and unsettling as you go through. And, and there are plenty of moments which give you the shivers as these horrible, horrible situations occur. And, and even if you're able to take care of yourself, hearing the audio logs and what happened to these poor people. Yeah. And these the people were dreams and hopes. And, it, and, and it, does, it does mess with your mind as well, particularly yeah. the first one. You know, yeah. it has the, 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 you know, the famous twist. So, uh, you know, uh, makes you take a step back and think, whoa, what, you know, what has been going on here? You know, but what, if that's uh, symptomatic of what hot survival horror can turn into, and it's so much more artfully handled than Resi 5, then, uh, then I've got great hopes for Bioshock Infinite. Oh, and it, it's putting you in that place. Mm. Yes, sure. There's not fixed perspective cameras, and, and you know, and, and that way they can direct maybe the, the scenes a lot easier. But you know, it, it's still still as impactful. And I, I think actually your point about Resident Evil Five, I, you know, the conversation we had last week about Resident Evil Five and thinking long and hard why why that lacked that certain something. Mm. I think yeah, you're right that there was there was nothing to make me care about the people that I was actually killing. Even yeah. though and that may have been what people were really bugged about the game and that why well, they labelled it racist. You just charge in there and you oh, carve yeah. up the natives and then you charge out of there well, and fire was, a rocket launcher at the it, biggest one. It was the fact they all looked like Shaq O'Neal that was the biggest problem. You know, it was just... <laughs> if, if there'd been some attempt to make any of them seem human... Yeah. But, I don't know, they just, it, it was really kind of mishandled there, I thought. I think the, the other thing that, you know, I think Bioshock almost sets like a new benchmark is that the, the characters in that game have all descended into madness mm. for, for various different reasons. And that in itself is, you know, disturbing and depressing and, and, and foreboding. You know, uh, the, the, the kind of corruption in that utopian world has driven people to the... To mm. the I mean, you know, you only have to mention Sander Cohen from the first game for, for you know, some of the some of the most poignant scenes and, and set pieces in, in, in the original mm. game, you know. But another thing that Bioshock does really well is it doesn't try too hard to scare the shit out of you because there's so much that's so wonderful to look at and you're just staring around this world going, how can this be? And it's it's so visually stunning that, that you know, while, say, a game like Condemned would want to take you down to the lowest depths of hell and make you feel like the most the, the depressing vision of beating up hobos with a, uh, an iron bar and smacking people's heads in. This takes you... Oh, I mean, it's depressing as hell, but it's also so wonderful. It's this incredible, intoxicating cocktail of a world.
think um, there's kind of two directions that survival horror is going in. There's, there's certainly stuff going down the kind of uh, Bioshock route of, of, of creating an environment and a world and a, yeah. and, a, and a really rich backstory. And then there's the other route, which I think Left for Dead goes down, and also things like Dead Rising, which is just to hit you with hordes and hordes and hordes and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of enemies, you know, yeah. so that you feel completely overwhelmed, overwhelmed and lost mm. and just at any point I'm just going to give in unless I can find uh, another shotgun or a chainsaw or something. Yeah. And that in itself um, is just as... Uh, you know, terrifying and, 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 and interesting, but it's almost like the technology has allowed us to get to that point, you know, because I think there was, there was a famous tech demo, wasn't there, before Dead Rising came out that showed that they could render 3,000 zombies on screen or something. Right. Um, so, you know, and that's, the technology's now allowed us to create these sorts of games, and, um, I think they're going in fairly interesting it, directions, although Dead Rising seems to have come to a bit of a. I say, it, it's still actually, it's about atmosphere and, and the way they, they manage that tone. Because if you look at something like Dead Rising, it, you know, okay, the zombies, but it's not really horrifying. It's more comical because the acts mm-hmm. that you were doing in that world is set to be something like that. You can't um, run around dressed like a pimp, hitting them with a hockey stick and be terrified. <laughs> <laughs> what about taking the horror genre down the psychological route like Shattered Memories does and Isaac Clarke sort of state in Dead Space 2? Mm. Um, it reminds me of Eternal Darkness. Um, that Sanity's room yeah. is it on the GameCube. Yep, I yep. want to see more stuff like that. That it plays with your emotions and expectations. I just remember playing the game with the Wavebird, and I don't yep. know how it knew that I was doing this is with the Wavebird, but it said, "Oh, your Wavebird's dead, mate." And I was just like, on the screen, it's like your Wavebird is is faulty. Please like reconnect it. So while I was fiddling around with the dials on the Wavebird, um, the actual controller and the thing that connects to your GameCube, the game has just carried on and started like killing me. <laughs> I was just like. Oh, thanks for that. Or the, the other instance of the TV pretended to turn off, and it was a, yeah, it was a bit of a fake out. That. After after the third time, you're like, all right, and yeah, cheers, Silicon Knights. I'm a bit bored now, but <laughs> I, I need to, but it's and you walk into a room and the room's upside down, and you think, well, I'm I'm screwed because the controls are back to front and upside down. I can't run mm-hmm. away, and I just want to see more psychological mentalness from games. Yes, that's what's most effective. I, I really loved Eternal Darkness as well. If you played it with a with a, I played it away but as well. But if you played it with one that you plugged in, I think it made you take the, take it out of the socket and put it in a different one. And of course, mm. when you did that, it didn't work. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was, was that riffing on Metal Gear Solid there? Yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, an, it's from Psycho Mantis. Yeah. But, yeah. but it kind of. Wouldn't it be great to see Kojima do a survival horror? Well, well, I'm not so sure. I mean, it'd it, <laughs> be 17 hours long, and that'd be the yeah, first cutscene. Yeah, it would just be cut, loads of loads of cutscenes and occasional walking around doing not much. But um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's the thing with Dayak is, is he takes an idea which is normally quite good, and then he kind of goes to town with it. And, I can't and, believe I forgot Dias Dayak was behind and, that. And, oh, and actually, he ends up breaking it as he did in Too Human. But he does. He, he certainly. You know, that game was, is gonna, uh, you know, I think Santi's Requiem will always be his best game simply mm. because of that, because he took a simple idea from, um, Metal Gear Solid and he kind of introduced it into a, what was essentially a survival horror game, and it, it did, did make it really disturbing. A point I've got about recent survival stuff, I mean, ultimately it says it within the title, survival. I mean, horror can be played with or not played with, but I think the survival element is always against you against the odds. So it, it's taking something away which the player normally is being empowered with. So that means less weapons, maybe less control of the character, um, you know, not maybe understanding where, what the character is doing and why he's doing it. It, it takes away, it makes the, the player unnervy. I, I think some of the problems developers have come up against is in this new gaming world that we, we live, in, live in, 
players don't like to be quite challenged in that way. Um, <laughs> they don't like to be handicapped. Well, I mean, as, as you said, Zan, I mean, yes, obviously the atmosphere of Dead Space is maybe what you're going into, but you're, you're playing on easy. You know, the idea of maybe being killed over and over again because the odds are stacked up against you isn't the, the survival aspect. I think you'd rather survive that game and just have the, the scares all the way through. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you don't need to have that sort of extreme level of difficulty um, and sacrifice the kind of chiller slash you know scary impending doom moments you know and but, um but the, the the i mean just to you know on death space 2 one of the really good things about death space 2 is they get the difficulty spot on because they they've designed it so if you play it on the higher difficulties you have to do all of the things you've been talking about in terms of inventory management and ammo yeah. conservation and so you can basically play it through casually to enjoy the story and then because you can do new game plus you can play it through again, and then play. It's almost like playing a completely different game, and I think that's exactly what stu- developers and studios should be going for, so that they make games accessible. And then, if you want to get more out of it, you can do. And and that's entirely my point. And back to what obviously Mishmice was saying about um, Dead Space Hardcore mode. You know, you've got four saves, and the, the survival aspect and the horrifying aspect comes. Mm. You you don't want to lose four hours of progress. But mm. then, I mean, it, it, there's many other games that now uh, are sharing this example. Some like Fallout New Vegas, where you got the the, you've got the obviously you can play a higher difficulty level, but you've also got the hardcore mode and that, or the survival mode, um, where you know if you get injured, you need to go back and get that that wound looked at by a doctor, not just a med pack, you know, or stim pack straight in the side of your arm and sort that that thing out. You need to go back to a home and you've got to take on water because you're being dehydrated by the sun and the radiation. You know, it puts you more in inside that that mindset. Alex talking about Far Cry 2 recently. Yep. You, know, you have malaria. Yep. In many respects. That, that was pretty was, fucking scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a scary situation that is very hard to control because you have no control when those malaria attacks might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a prime one, which I know, uh, I don't think many of us have actually played, but Demon Souls. Oh, yes. You know, th- there's a game where it's about, it's, it's, you're given the, the ability to survive these situations if, if you get your timing right and the combat right, but it's extremely punishing if you get that wrong and that's where I think a lot of people thrive on that kind of game where if they know they make a mistake that could be the end they lose souls okay it's a game world you know you're not going to die in real life but the tension of a game like that mm. is is fantastic and this is where I think you know um, we've moved so far away from, from stuff like Resident Evil but I think it's morphed into something far greater than, than what those games were doing back then. And, you know, the atmosphere it doesn't necessarily have to be what's around that corner, I don't know. But it, it can be, like, the punishment that a game can give. At the same time, obviously, easy. Accessibility uh, in all these games is a, is a very important factor because we want people to get into these these, these franchises and enjoy them and maybe uh, understand where survival horror has gone if you choose to pick hard mode. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's interesting to see how they've taken that idea and then kind of run with it in the future and something I definitely want to see more games do which is play with difficulty levels it's like what we said with Splinter Cell you know if you want it to be a survival rock hard kind of game give us that option but you know at the same time it's got to be accessible another important thing that's happened in recent years is the multiplayer aspect of survival horror it's uh, yeah it, uh, playing through Resident Evil 5 I was I was, uh, you know really casting about to try and find anything that was really that different from Resident Evil 4 but I was playing on my own Playing with Midge the other night, it, it was a completely different game. And I actually yeah. was a bit more scared. 
Mm. And it shouldn't be that way because I was. I would agree with Miz was my wingman. Exactly. <laughs> I, was the, I was trying to save him. It was like a giant um, babysitting quest. No, actually, yeah, it was the other way around. Midge was the one saving yeah. my ass. It was a case of right. We've got to keep swapping ammo very quickly. We've got to be very careful about what we're what we're doing, where we are. We've got to make sure that we're not leaving ourselves in harm's way. Uh, and specifically, I thought if we die. It's going to strain our relationship and friendship if we keep dying over and over again. Because it's like, we have been here for three hours. Would you stay behind the fucking cover? Or something like that. <laughs> Whereas if it was on my own, I'd only have myself to blame and the game to just force myself through. Yeah. So I, I was more afraid of dying in that. So I don't know. Midge, you and I should just go through the main game and see if that is better than my first yeah. run through. Because I think it will be. But that dilutes it for me. No, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, um, Left 4 Dead, I thought was great at that. I was, yeah, the, the other one. You're playing that with three friends, and you know, uh, you're all depending on each other, and you get yourself killed, and you, you've basically exposed the other three to danger and stuff. Like, that's it, usually me. Yeah, or one of the teams starts running off in front. And that's you know, also usually. That's, all, yeah. that's, all, that's also me. Start <laughs> a rag with them, and then they get killed because they run off on their own. And you know, but yeah, it's I, a I, different kind of tension to it. It's it on your own. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it introduces the kind of. Uh, uh, sort of interplay between players and 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 uh, yeah, I, I I think that's a good a good direction that Survival War has gone in the last few years. I don't think it removes too much away. But I think what Tony was trying to say was that it, when, what, did you mean that it dissipates some of the uh, the atmosphere? Just some of the because tension, you're not like, just yeah. sort of going, oh god, what's around the corner? Because people I mean, are just charging around and bantering back and forth, aren't they? Yeah, I, I think some of the tension which a game like that it, it loses some ground for me is just because people nine times out of ten are, are joking, not. Not maybe yeah, taking not, the situation yeah. as seriously as me. Interestingly, I, again, I agree with you, Zan, that, that if I think if everybody are in the right frame of mind, then yeah, it adds that another element yeah. because there's other people within that mix you can be bouncing off. But at, at the same time, if someone is literally just fucking around, it becomes like yeah. just seriously. I mean, where's the tension gone in this game? Because now I'm just annoyed with you rather than being yeah. annoyed by the atmosphere and what yeah. the game's trying the to do. Biggest thing I used to be frightened of was Demote shouting at me because he gets so stressed playing <laughs> the dead. If, if anyone goes off, scarier than a tyrant. Oh god, yeah. So it was like you will behave. <laughs> But no, the other day, um, before we did the zombie podcasts, I took Matt Harrier through a level of Left 4 Dead, and we put it on realism, so that we'd have to go mainly for headshots, and I was talking him through how to survive a zombie holocaust with a Solanum zombie, and I was like saying, what, we've got to get in the mindset, don't make any sound. And it was, I was making him work harder than he had to in Left 4 Dead, because of course you can just charge through, and I was like, no, 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 check, scout through. And it was, it was really atmospheric, because we were, you know, we were scared of making moves without being together, and, and, we had the difficulty up on realism, and that was great fun. Darren, you've played Amnesia, haven't you? I've played uh, about 45 minutes to an hour, and yeah. I'll, I'll freely admit it's the same thing with the Resident Evil remake, that it was just a bit too out of the norm for me to get comfortable with again. Like, I stopped playing the Resi remake when the Crimson Head started breaking down the doors. I was like, <laughs> I was like so, sod this, mate, I'm turning this off. Yeah, those Crimson Head zombies and Penumbra and Amnesia sort of they're so scary that I'm a, I think I've sort of become watered down, diluted to these uh, these really, really scary games with things like Dead Space, to be honest. So, uh, Dead Space 2, to me, wasn't as scary as seeing a crimson head knock a door down or, seeing, <laughs> or it, it, wrote all, it rewrote all the rules for Resident Evil. It yeah. was ridiculous. You like, can't underestimate how good that game actually is. If you <laughs> yes, get... Amazing. Yeah. 
But when you hear the rattling of the door, you're like, what's, what's going on? Like, that doesn't normally happen in Resident Evil. And then all of a sudden it just goes boshing down the Kaboom! music. The music goes right up in like volume and you're like, well, what's that? And you just see this weird <laughs> zombie claws up, running towards you. You're like, I've got to run, I've got to run. Cause you, you know, you, you're oh, you're making me want to play it again. <laughs> yeah, we were going to do we, we were going to do it on ID Cafe. But so now you can't replay. Ever, never going to finish it. Mate, what I, about I, when the hunters get to you, for God's sake? See, I think the Crimsons um, are scarier than anything. Because because they're brand new for um for Resident Evil. They, they were before the, what they called in Resi 4, the Gadani or whatever. And the, the Maginny. Yeah, the, the Crimson Heads were, even now, they're still the scariest thing. Even scarier well, than... Specifically, it's... Every time you kill a zombie in Resident Evil, if you don't burn the body and dispose of the corpse in the correct way, it will become a crimson head later, And which means that when you kill one, you've got to take responsibility for it. And that shit me up. Because I'm like, I'd rather just leave you alive. Because <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, they're rubbish on their own, just a normal zombie. Just, yeah. Ooh, yeah, you can run around there, no worries, if, you, if you're good at the controls. But... but- what was um, Resident Evil 3? It was at the time Resident Evil that followed you all the way through. Mm. Nemesis. Nemesis. So I love that, the Nemesis. Yeah, that there was what scared me, because it was that impending. He, he was always chasing... Stars. stars. Yeah, and you'd hear stars. the music would pick up, and you'd hear him, and suddenly a break through a wall, and you had to get out so out yeah. of that screen. <laughs> Stuff like that is brilliant. It's just it's very the impending nature, and music plays such a massive part in that. Oh, hang on, were you yeah. going to say from Resident Evil for the, uh, the what are they called the Reformer? Oh yeah, that dude is just yeah, obviously reformed. So I'm not going to just hate it because yeah, it's all that, but that's terrifying. It's when you're wandering around and you see this alien tail just above your head, and you're like, what's that? And then it stabs you through the shoulder. And you're like, oh my god! <laughs> And it, it, you, you, you become paranoid because it's there and the music's going... <laughs> it's out there. It's just like being an alien or something, yeah. I mean, here's... Why haven't they done a survival horror alien game? I mean, I know they did Alien vs. Predator. It's not survival horror. But imagine boarding up, uh, you know, a, a, a small base on LV-421 and just trying to keep the aliens out. And all you've got are the bits that the, uh, that the, the, the settlers had with them there. And, oh. Go to World of Spectrum. Download <laughs> aliens for the Spectrum. Is it, is it in HD? It can be. <laughs> is it, does it look like Bioshock? Um, it can do. <laughs> but no, seriously, if you play that game, you you, you basically control the squad, uh-huh. and uh, you can only ever see one member of your squad at any one time, and you navigate the the base on LV four twenty six. And if any of the other squad encounters an alien, they turn yellow, and you have to quickly change to them. And if you don't get to them quick enough, they'll be dead. And you've got face huggers, and uh, it is terrifying. And when I, I was, you know, um, when I, I played that game when I was, oh, I'm trying to work out, I'll be about 13, something like that, and it was terrifying for its time. And it had the um, the motion tracker and the pip, 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 and you could see all the kind of health of your team. And all of a sudden, you start losing your team members because they're all being attacked at once. Christ. What, whatever happened to Colonial Marines? Remember that was being made Still by development? Oh, come on! Duke Nukem takes priority. For God's sake! <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's genuinely scary. <laughs> <laughs>
So where do you think survival horror can go in the future? I think Alex made a good point when he talked about Bioshock Infinite because I think looking at where they're taking that, it's going down a, a very different direction to um, certainly what Bioshock did and, mm. and what survival horror has done in the past. And I think based on what I've read and based on what I've seen, that could be almost like an entirely new branch of survival horror. Mm-hmm. In what um, way? I mean, I, obviously I've been following it, so I know, but you know, it's fairly vague for the rest of the audience. Yeah, um, they've they've basically are attempting to make something that plays on the relationship you have with the character in the game. If you're not familiar with it, basically the, from what they've revealed, obviously the, the game's nowhere near finished, is that the main protagonist has this relationship with a, a, a woman, yep. and this mm-hmm. there is a very tight bond between the two. And what happens to you, the things that happen to you will happen to her. And it's, it's almost like realizing the Peter Molyneux dream of establishing almost like a, you know, um, a, a, a kind of a love bond, if you like, between mm-hmm. the main character that you're playing. And from what you can, I can tell that all of the kind of horrible things and the kind of twisting of the psychology and stuff will be based around messing with that relationship. Uh, and, and the kind of sense of dread and doom that, was, that surrounds it. So that to me is is very interesting because it's it's starting to take some of the ideas that they they kind of explored in Bioshock One uh, and and take them to another level. Because obviously in Bioshock One there was the the father son relationship which is revealed and it kind of messes with your mind as to what you've just done and what you're what you have you know and why you're even on this earth. Mitch hasn't played it. Well, I haven't given away that much. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you must. Have, if you haven't played one now, I'm sorry, but I'm actually thinking of just Wikipedia and that. No, play oh, the no, fucking no, game. Yeah. But, um, it's one of the most yeah. significant games of the past ten years. Play it. Amazing. I, I just feel that Infinite is going down that route even more, and um, I, I may have that wrong, but that's certainly the, well, you know, the way they've been talking. I, I think what you described is, I think, where you know we're all. Well, a, a portion of us are hoping where games are going, which is it become more realistic to everyday life. So, you know, if, if let's face it, if most of the stuff we've seen in games happened in r- real life, it would class it as pretty much as survival horror. Because yeah. <laughs> seeing someone shot would not be fun. Yeah, um, and I think that's where a, lo- a lot of the psycholo- psychological aspects um, are going with games when, you know, they they challenge some of the concepts of what we know as games now and actually kind of present it more in a, a factual element. Um, and yeah, I think Bioshock Infinite is is going starting to go along that route. Mm. Uh, so immersion then, it's well, like yeah. being there. As a it's it's one thing detached. having yeah your dog um, taken away from you in Fable, but you suddenly make that a proper human being that you you've grown a relationship I, to. Mm. I'm not sure where they're going to go with it, but again, based on what they did in Bioshock, I mean, uh, Alex will appreciate this. When your child is sick or ill, mm-hmm. the sensation you have, the feeling you have, is like nothing you've ever experienced. The, you know, the sort of the knot in your stomach is just horrific. Yep. And to a certain extent, they kind of played around with that with Bioshock and Bioshock 2 in terms of the relationship with the, the big daddies and the little sisters. Yep. Yep. Um, whether they came about that by accident or not doesn't matter. They certainly, once they knew they were onto something, they kind of played up to it. And certainly Bioshock 2, you guys know, that, you know, they, they explore that even further. I just get the sense that they, they're taking that again. They've taken that idea and they're understanding how that could be a real kind of gut-wrenching feeling, and that's what they're trying to go for with Infinite. The show's and, sponsored by Bioshock, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Jay I mean, goddamn one on this that, one. That, I, I was yeah, not there for the first two, but I will be there for this one. You mentioned bringing things that, that you know into games will make it seem more scary. Yeah. I'd just like to say that in Dead Space 2, I saw pictures 
of Arsenal fans and it made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Walking through the shopping centre bit in Dead Space 2, I saw pictures of Arsenal fans on the wall and I just went, what, what, what are they doing here? Do you know what I mean? Like, literally just started laughing. Well, not everything from real life. I mean, a beach <laughs> no, ball's but, not going to make you scared. No, but, you know, talking about this, a lot of the problems I have with, with games to, that are trying to, you know, put me in a place and, and build an atmosphere is that it's always empty streets. Mm. You know, it's, mm. there's horrific scenes that have happened, but the bodies have mysteriously been taken away or, you know, nobody's, Wounded and, and running. There's Have you just... played Dead Space? <laughs> yeah. No, but like... this this is what I'm saying. There's one or two games that are trying to do that and, mm. and leading the way, but a lot of games just don't bother. You know, the, the sense of you know, just the sense. Wait, of Resident play... Evil? They got back up again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But everyone was a zombie in Resident Evil. There was yeah. no corpses that have been completely destroyed. There were side zombie and corpses. But no, but yeah. they were you know, basically things that you need to shoot because well, once again, there, there was kind of back in those days, there was a limit on what they could do. If you remember, they they had like a bath full of blood and they had to cut it from the UK and US releases because it was too extreme for us. <laughs> that's just a bath full of vital life giving fluid. It's not like that's, they could not have done Dead Space back in those days. I think it's an interesting situation where we're in now where I think back in the earlier days the limit of technology meant that you know people were playing more of the psychological aspect because it was you know hard to animate something yeah and it was easier to, to scare people with you know ideas rather than physical presence and stuff mm. I think we wandered away from that quite a bit for the last few years because mm. you know we have the power to do so but I think we're slowly and the same goes with films you know we're slowly understanding what actually how the brain works and how the psychological aspect of it works a lot better than the, seeing the physical presence of something and I, I think now the power of games is is slowly becoming to the point where they can grasp back onto you know both those aspects where you know we can show stuff but also play with the mind a lot, a lot more than what we have previously done and yeah Bioshock uh, did a good point of that but you know Dead Space obviously is there I'd even I you and yeah, there were people go. Ugh. I think Alan Wake tried to play with the idea of messing with the human mind, but mm-hmm. he does not. But you know, we're going back down that route, and even you know, Silent Hill: Shattered Memories, same mm. thing there. You know, it, it it plays with you know what you are actually interacting with. The game can come back, such as the drawing, you know, coloring the house. Mm. You know, people have played that and know what that is, and it's it's yeah. freaky but very very cool. And the um. I have to say there's definitely a, um, there was a moment uh, last night when Midge and I were playing the uh, the gold edition that we we were stripped of all our weapons we just had one like one flash grenade each and we had to take out in a row four axe toting guys with no weapons and that required um, one to uh, you know find a crank and then turn a crank and the other two lure the uh, the axe guy in and there's this like incredibly tense music and there is I I believe a real market right. still <laughs> for that sense of yeah dread that sense of, of of having these weapons and then going right now you've got nothing and all uh, actually like saying what you've got a pistol and five shots and you've got a legion of of undead between you and and salvation and just stripping you down to nothing again so that you felt like you were overpowered and then go nope you, you've got zero. That would scare a lot of people in a way that, w- that they would remember as, 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 oh, that was a really great moment in the game. I mean, it's a completely not survival horror at all, but remember at the end of the Sands of Time when they take the time dagger away and you go, but how am I meant to make the jumps? <laughs> well, you've got to do it first time. 
Yeah, I screamed during that bit you mentioned in the Resident Evil DLC. I was yeah. playing a midge, and you have to winch up the um, the floor so it has the spikes underneath. Yeah. And then yeah. you get the creature on the air. I actually screamed at one point, and uh, <laughs> it was brilliant. Oh, th- yeah. no, there was a bit where a zombie jumped up and grabbed me, and I was like, "That's not fair! That's against the rules!" <laughs> ah, ah. Yeah. So seriously, in a hundred years' time, if video games are still going, they will still, if someone's managed to master it well, be able to bring you back down to having absolutely nothing and scare the. Sh- shit out of you yeah it's that's going to carry on it'll go away for one then it'll come back and it'll come back in interesting ways and yeah, I essentially bringing it back to basics yeah it's a fascinating conversation why we even put ourselves through this tension yeah. human yeah. beings mm. it's it's because it makes us feel more alive mm-hmm. it's the thrill it's the reason we watch horror movies it's the reason yeah. we we're, we're afraid of the dark and yet we turn the lights off we well, could just okay. leave the lights on all night waste of yeah. power <laughs> How very practical. I think well, of course is offer the same sort of experience, don't they? If you do want to turn the uh, lights on, you've got to go and find the night key, and then that means going downstairs. You've got to solve a puzzle. Like, we didn't even talk about puzzles. Where mm. have they gone? That's true. It's like these days they don't want to have you solving puzzles and stuff. My my wife's favourite bits of uh, Silent Hill Homecoming were when we had to solve puzzles together. They weren't combat related in any way, but there was that bit, if you remember, Tony, you had to reach into the uh, thing. <laughs> if you'd done the puzzle wrong, it would, it would horribly mutilate you. And yes. you're like, we were cha- really scared. A chamber with four handholds in that are black. Yeah. You've got to get it, the keys in there. You've got to pick one of those handholds by looking at the symbols. And yeah, yeah. one in four chance that you're not going to get your arm severed off. Hmm. Yeah, that's a way. I think I think Professor Layton's stolen all the puzzles, to be honest, and uh, he's not sharing them for anyone else. I say we can get them back. I say <laughs> there's definitely a possibility that Resident Evil Six. Well, think about it. They've got, they're going to make a Resident Evil Six. Yeah. I mean, what are they oh, doing yeah. right now? Anyone know? Any Capcom fans? 3DS ones. Apart from 3DS. Yeah. They've got to either go back to basics, do it the same shit again, but with some slight tweaks, or uh, just completely reboot it with with some interesting, fascinating new prospect. My suggestion would be, do Resident Evil serious. Imagine a Danny Boyle version of Resident Evil. What I would but say that's not is, Capcom, is it? They just do big love. Well, I mean, I mean, I think you've played it as well, you missed the the 3DS one, but it's it's gone yeah, down. Yeah, I played the Mercenaries one. Yeah, that's what I played as well. It's gone down yeah. the Mercenaries. I mean, you can even run and gun. So it's, it's, it's kind of... So it's going to be yeah. more of a big, huge... Yeah. yeah, everyone starts with a cannon. I'd be what? surprised, actually, if 6 does go down that route. I'd, you mm. think? Well, I'd, I'd be, just be... Mind you, Capcom never listen to anyone. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> what about this new Tomb Raider they're talking about, survival? And uh, it looks pretty grim. Do you reckon that'll be a, a true survival game, or are they just using that word just to, you know, tickle your balls? Uh, I'd say it's probably as much of a survival game as uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. You'll have to kill things and eat them, and you'll have to you know, stitch up your wounds and stuff. But uh, it felt after a while that you were just playing little tiny mini-games and keeping uh, the game happy rather than being really worried about your health. Maybe. I mean, maybe not. What I would say about Resident Evil 6 is... Um, well, not necessarily make 6, but remake the first one again, but bring it into this generation, introduce it to the newer generation of gamers, not necessarily my age, but, you know... Well, they tried and failed with Dez. He's like, oh, no, it's too scary. (laughs) Get rid of it. Much too scary. No, but really, you know, really pull out the stops and go back to basics. We need to make the slow zombie scary again. And 
frankly, they made it farcical in Dead Rising. And uh, yeah. there needs to be a sense that when you go into a room in Resident Evil and there's a zombie in there, you have to you have to do something about it and quick and yeah. it not necessarily being poorly controlled, but you have to be scared of that thing. Yeah. And I think ultimately that, that clever programmers and clever storytellers can do that. Fast zombies came along with 28 days later and, uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake and kind of made slow zombies kind of, you know, yesterday's news. Absolutely. Yeah. But listening to the zombie survival guides, it scared the shit out of me. Once, once again, picture this, you know, you're in a room, look how great graphics can be now, but you're in a really fantastically rendered single room, almost think heavy rain style. Hmm. The door opens, there is no escape, and that door shuts behind it, and there's a zombie walking towards you. Now, you don't have a weapon, and you have to use the environmental stuff around you. That would be scary. If it was slowly moving towards you, and you, you knew it was game over at that point, and so you're picking chairs up, anything, you know, just smacking it, and it's breaking, it's still coming towards you and then eventually you have to just just get his head mashed to pieces with a bit of chair but what yeah. is it what, how does that work for someone like me who just finds the whole concept of zombies ridiculous um, <laughs> it doesn't Zan. Or maybe, it? maybe it'll be the one thing that makes you go oh I get it now and yeah. it work for more the, than zombies have never terrified me in any game they've just been an irritation in things like uh, uh, you know Left 4 Dead and stuff they don't I don't find the whole concept of zombies well, that's the challenge. They have to convince yeah. an otherwise jaded public who, who don't, aren't scared of zombies anymore. Yeah, that's what I think Resident Evil 4 did well, is that it just moved away from zombies. It made them, yeah. it made, it made them people, almost. Yeah. Well, okay, then, if they're not going to go for zombies in the next game, yeah, make them people. But actually make it a situation where you know and care about what's going on there, and you're not just slaughtering the locals. <laughs> Like, I mean, it was like really like turn of the century, like how about the, um, the 18th uh, century fucking I mean, monocle wearing handlebar moustache <laughs> dude in a safari shirt going, oh, telly how, let's shoot the fuzzy wuzzies. Oh, for fuck's sake. The sort of thing that would absolutely petrify me would be something like the Wicker Man, you know, where you've got the whole town is a is a is, is some sort of weird cult yeah and and, and but on they the face, all they talk and they're actual people it's more yeah. like alan wake and less yeah. like yeah. possessed yeah 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 we see that be with that more scary yeah especially if you got to know them first a bit and then you're like oh these guys are all right oh my god they really aren't i'd have preferred <laughs> i'd have preferred that and having to kill them individually the people that you've all met and you only have to kill like 15 people in the whole game each individually but rather than just like eh, it's a shadowy lumberjack and now his shadowy lumberjack friend and six other shadowy lumberjacks all lumbering out of you in the dark mm. kill them all in the same way i would i i think it would be much more interesting if really the amount of actual you know, action and violence was, re- you know, reduced to just a few moments in the game. Well, and I was thinking as well, it's as weird as a film to bring up, but something like From Dust Till Dawn, where mm. it's you know, a complete game of two halves, where you get to know the characters, these people. Obviously, it's it's somewhat daft within that uh, context of that film, but yeah. you know, a bit more serious in the first half of the game. But mm. you wonder, you wonder whether the public would buy something into that. You know, for it Rockstar could do it. To, well, maybe they can. <laughs> they really yeah. could. But, you know, something where you, it's maybe an adventure game at the very start, and then it really turns around on its head, and you, you know the odds are against you. But I guess that's what every action adventure wants to be. You know, Drake, <laughs> you get to know the characters, and then you're put into danger of people shooting you. But it never feels quite the same. It just feels like you're on this adventure rather in any peril. Bye. 
Another thing that I was going to mention is open world survival horror with Undead Nightmare mm. last year. I thought that was really freaky and quite terrifying, really, when I was just riding through the wilderness and there could be like little packs of zombies here and there. Yeah, you uh, couldn't you, get off your horse because they'd start charging at you and you're like, I'm crushing it! Yeah, and you were really <laughs> struck for ammo, so you really had to make mm. the headshots count. Yeah. And, how you know, I, I thought Undead Nightmare was an absolute fantastic example of a survival horror on a on an open world scale yeah they could definitely do that there's um a game coming out called class three which we found about fairly recently uh which seems to be kind of based on the zombie survival guide where it's it's coming we don't know much we know it's coming to xbox live it'll be massively multiplayer not exactly an rpg but about surviving in a world covered in zombies rather than just killing zombies fantastic now that sounds sounds like survival horror yeah. Is that from that new Undead Studios that has It is. Formed? Yeah. yeah oh. They sound quite uh, focused on what they want to do, but yeah. it's obviously Undead Studios. But yeah, that sounds quite interesting. Yeah. The, the, the thing I love about this conversation, every time I think that maybe games have hit you know, their pinnacle, we start to have a conversation of where they could go in the future. And it excites. Oh. Yeah. It does, yeah. <laughs> Me too. Tickles your nostalgia burner. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, so before we go, does anyone have any developers they'd really like to see tackle this genre? Yeah, I, I want to mention Doom because I playing Doom as a kid, it scared the life out of me. And even playing it on the Xbox Live Arcade, the Xbox Live Arcade, I sound like a granddad. Um, played on Xbox Live Arcade on Ultraviolet. Ultraviolet? Ultraviolet, yeah, I can't speak. <laughs> it, was, it was nearly impossible to complete. You had like two bullets five flaming skulls loaded demons around you and you had to run through them like it was some sort of puzzle game now I want to see id Software do Doom 4 but take away all the monster closets and you know the, the scripting and that I just I want to see Doom 4 a, a proper horror survival, you know, survival horror game I want to hmm. see them like my experience with Doom 2 in last June on Xbox Live Arcade you know I was playing it on Extra Hard which is probably you know a factor to how survival horror you know, it comes into the Doom experience, but 
I literally, I had like a berserk, I had a berserk pack, which basically allows you to punch things in one hit and knock them out. And I had two bullets and I basically had to get from one side of the room to a teleportal, which would then take me into another room just full of bonkers, demons, uh, you know, everything, everything. Just, I want to see Doom 4 come back and for me, take its crown back on, on survival horror and, uh, Enjoy. Well, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've got one. I I think um, I'd like to see Starbreeze do one. Yeah, I like Star- um, I like Starbreeze. I I think uh, Star- no developer does light and dark better than Starbreeze. I mean, mm. Riddick and the Darkness yeah. were superb in playing with, um, essentially like it's like the gaming equivalent of film noir, basically, but playing with with light and shadows and darkness and that to me. It, is the essence of a really good survival horror game, and I think they could really nail a first-person one. Yeah. No, I'm with that. I think they're doing Born right now, unless they've had that taken off their hands. Off the uh, Syndicate. Syndicate, yeah. Oh, yeah. balls. I heard Born, so maybe <laughs> maybe no one has Born right now. Um, I, I kind of want to see what Platinum Games would do with it, because although it's the opposite of what I just said, because they would just, they would, you know... Batch it crazy. Yeah, they'd go mental and turn <laughs> it up to a 12. Uh, but I'd kind of like to see what they'd do with it and go, right, survival horror, you must survive, you have one bullet, go! <laughs> and just yeah. how they could make that incredibly exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. Do you reckon I learned that Dark will ever come back and be good? Nope. Nope. <laughs> but the idea of looking in your jacket it was just that like was, it, was, it, was, it was a nice idea but in, in actual you know in theory well not in theory in actuality it was crap I'd like to see a remake of Maniac Mansion and I know that's obviously a, a comedy fun game but you know make it like you know The Goonies or uh, or Stand By Me but with kids but you know make uh, make it more like Monster House make kids you know kind of uneasy to play because remember Survival horror should be for all the family. <laughs> should it? <laughs> yes. Being scared is not necessarily something that uh, that children should have and not confront. How about that? Yeah. No, well, that's basically what Disney have set themselves on for many, many years. Yeah. Since Snow White. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the, the development studio I want to see working on a uh, survival horror game is already working on. And that's, you know, anything that seems to be 2K is touching right now. Yeah. <laughs> they seem to be, uh, you know... A, well, they, they're a publisher stroke studio development house uh, organization that seems to you know, really understand where I want the games to go in the future, whether it be something like Red Dead or hopefully L.A. Noir or um, you know, something you know, in, the, in the same vein of Bioshock. But, you know, Bioshock Infinite's coming, so that's the, the game I'm next looking forward to. That game I can't, I just... You, you know, I, I don't tend to get hyped about games now just because I think I've been playing them too long, and we all have. Mm. But yeah, that one there, I, I'm putting it in a ridiculously high, lofty spot that I probably shouldn't at this point. Because <laughs> it will do me no good, but when it eventually comes around, I'll be yeah, upset. But yeah, I, I think 2K. And I think 2K is doing it at the moment. I believe IO Interactive are currently working on Hitman 5. Now, Hitman's the opposite of uh, survival horror, because you have to plan absolutely everything, but then you execute it meticulously and you own the whole situation. I, I just wonder how they could apply that to survival horror, where you can't control things, where it's chaos, and where you have to plan, do your best, but then ultimately give, give way to, to, to what could actually happen outside of the safe rooms. I'd love that. Oh, <clears throat> ideas floating through my head now. I was <laughs> <laughs> just thinking that that, that this, almost in like the the Godzilla films or like the the, sh- the stupid over like the world's ending type films. 
um, and you've got like crowds of people running and, and going for that bridge and you know you've got to get across that bridge even though there's hundreds and hundreds of people on the field just, yeah. yeah exactly like that you know just and then you see the bridge smash down in front of you like all these disaster films and luckily you didn't get there and just you know trying to deal with crowd physics but I think that's so far away in, in the future of what technology yeah. maybe yeah. can handle and ideas of what games that are going to hit but idea. it'd be nice to actually detract from the sense of isolation which all of these games seem to have and actually for you to be terrified around a load of other people you know instead of being placed in a world where it's already happened and you've got to survive there actually stick you in where it's all kicking off and see yeah, exactly you know, yeah we're told about, oh, you know, imagine if there was this class three or class four zombie attack and, you know, everyone would be spilling into the streets trying to get away. Well, you know, be a part of that. Be a part of that crowd yeah. spilling into the streets. Sell us that. Yeah, seeing that. Well, video that games, way. unlike movies, actually have the ability to really engage you in that yeah. in, a, in, a, in a really yeah. sustained way. And imagine this scenario where that's happening and, you know, this zombie does spring from nowhere, take down the person next to you and start gorging on their, their flesh. And you don't have the weapons, and your weapons is just to you know get back out of that crowd, get away from the situation, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean maybe, but it, it seems a long way off yet because we're so obsessed about shooting things in the head uh, <laughs> that it seems to be a long way away. Or they could remake Dino Crisis. Actually, you know what? As sa- silly as that sounds, Jurassic Park. Trespasser. Okay, but if they made a new Jurassic Park, and this one came about after I was looking at all the maps on the Far Cry 2 servers, because people can make their own. Somebody had done a really cracking Jurassic Park, and I was running around it thinking, this should be full of dinosaurs. And of course it couldn't be, and it wasn't. They'd put up like these weird kind of facsimile dinosaurs, and it just felt like it was empty. But you, it felt so atmospheric that a dinosaur could jump out at you. And I just think that the film is so ripe for for a video game because ultimately you could just have uh, your character be one of the guys who who uh, one of the tech guys working at the park when it goes down in the first film not the second or the third or some other stupid moment the first film the good film jesus that would be so atmospheric if you had to go and you know the second you find out the raptors are loose at halfway through the game you're like shit and up until that point, it had been really atmospheric and you'd been dealing with trying to wrangle the Dilophosaurs back and, and the Compies, maybe. At some point, the T-Rex would make a big explosive entrance. But when you find out the Raptors are loose, that changes the goddamn game. That would be brilliant. I'll be up for that. And if they completely and utterly replicated the whole island. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be yeah, incredible. Using the Crisis Engine, that would be brilliant. It's only oh, going to cost I, I, 200 million to make. It would cost 200 billion, but Spielberg would be behind it, and you'd get Jeff Goldblum in voice duties, but no one else, because no one else would want to do it. Jeff Goldblum. Indeed. But yeah. <laughs> okay. Tony, you had a few things to say before we get. Yeah, I'd, um, I just want to let people know that I was actually on another podcast recently. It's a podcast called Achievement Hounds, and I was on episode 29, and if you can guess by the title, it's all about achievements. So if you want to hear I'm me wax. Yeah, well, I knew you would be. Me too. <laughs> if, you're, if you want to uh, hear me wax lyrical about the, the achievements and my love of them, and also uh, I try not to come off too fanboy, knowing that there would be a percentage of this audience that will come over there, but yeah, we, we do talk a lot about uh, Xbox. Um, and that's episode 29, uh, and you can obviously find that on iTunes, but also you can find it on thisxboxlive.com. Well, thisxboxlive.com. Yes, yeah, so episode 29. Check it out. It's a good show. Really, really good guys on there, so... The other thing I wanted to mention is uh, a good friend of ours, uh, a person that's helped the show tremendously over the years and, and with all the forum stuff, is, is uh, Stephen, Count Stex of the forum. It's 
was his birthday uh, the day after recording this. So uh, big out shout out to Stephen. Happy birthday! And I believe Happy he's birthday. I Happy believe birthday. he's birthday, only twenty two. You're Can kidding. You? Yeah, 22. Who knew? He's so Almost mature. as old as me. Yeah, he sounds a lot older, but no, he's, he's, yeah, he's still a baby. <laughs> uh, and Zan, Zan, can you tell us a little bit about the replay show and how uh, people can actually interact and vote on it? Yeah, but it uh, was published this week. It's um, Gameburst uh, has a monthly show called Replay, uh, which you can find at www.gameburst.co.uk, um, where we basically revisit games from uh, 2 to ten years ago really. They all games have to be at least two years old. And we ask the listeners to vote each month and then we, we have a kind of uh, retrospective review really, which is often quite refreshing, um, looking at a game several years after it came out. And um this month was uh, I know a favourite of yours, Tony, it was Mirror's Edge. Yeah. Uh, love that game. And, I love that game. Amazing. So we had um sort of mixed reaction actually from listeners but uh, certainly everyone in the in the podcast was a big fan so you can that uh, show was published yesterday I believe so um, on Thursday the 8th of February so you can catch that on iTunes um, next month there's four games uh, to choose from there's uh, GTA 4 Ballad of Gay Tony Assassin's Creed uh, Time Shift and oh my goodness I've forgotten what the fourth one, <laughs> don't, one is don't, don't vote for Assassin's oh, Creed Left for Dead Left for Dead um, yeah, so and at the moment, I think Assassin's Creed is, w- is winning the vote. Oh, uh, dear. So, well, you just uh, played it, Midge. So, I know. Yeah. <laughs> never again, please, never again. So, but, uh, uh, I, I think what we can do, we, we'll stick a link up on the, the forum so people can actually find it. And uh, either, I don't think we can do votes RM, but maybe if we link straight to your page. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the voting is on Twitter and Facebook, so if you just find Game Burst on both of those, uh, then you can vote, yeah. But uh, I'm going to vote for Time Shift. Good man, that's my choice. Purely because (laughs) I've played the other games to death and I probably don't need to know any... Hang on, you played Gay Tony? No, but I I don't really want to play Gay Tony. (laughs) But I do actually actually want to hear about uh, Time Shift because it's... uh, I remember but it kind of just came and went. Nobody really talked about it and it's apparently a a fairly decent game underneath all that with uh, some unique ideas. So I think, yeah, if, if it ends up being Time Shift, it may be one I pick up myself and play along where I don't think the others I would. Gentlemen, would you like to plug your shows? Zan first. Um, okay, you can find me in a variety of places. So uh, I have a monthly show with the Ninja Fat Pigeons at www.ninjafatpigeons.co.uk. Uh, I also have a guest slot on Big Red Potion, which you can find at bigredpotion.com. And I have a monthly show called Game Burst Replay, which you can find at gameburst.co.uk. You are the Mr. UGM man. I am <laughs> these days, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Midge and Dez. Okay, you can find us at idkfapodcast.libsyn.com or you can search for us on iTunes, just search for IDKFA Podcast. And that's where you'll find us. Weekly show, um, usually published on a Monday or a Tuesday, depending on what time we record. So Tony and I will be back next week. Stay tuned for a final bit of Gonzo after the music. Until then, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Tony Atkins. And happy trails.
slave to the animation. Here's something that's been driving me batshit crazy lately. The great detractor from the reality of any given action game is that we're obliged to see all the animations. In Resident Evil 5, if an enemy is pulling back a spear to plunge it into your chest, you can blast him in the face with your last shotgun shell and the game will initiate an automatic reload that often, but not always, goes something like this. Hmm, that shell should really have killed this mob here. Still, I've started so I'll finish. Better luck next time, pal. And lo and behold, your shotgun is ineffective while his pointy stick wins through and robs you of a third of your energy. If you sidestep, he pivots on the spot like one of those teacups at Disney World and homes the point in on you with laser-guided precision. In other words, if you're in range, that stick's hitting you no matter what. The level of response to a good 40% of your shots in Resident Evil 5 is non-existent. You can plug an axe-wielding behemoth in the kneecaps, head, wherever. The game is not registering bullets hitting bone. It's keeping count of the mob's internal damage bar. You have to shoot him precisely ten times in the head with your shotgun to take him down. Do it nine times, and the guy will survive long enough to splatter you with his axe. On the tenth hit, he will crumble to the ground as his bar runs out, but his head will not explode. You didn't shoot him really, you just rolled the dice enough times to lower his HP to zero. Other mobs are slightly different. In the classic Resident Evil 4 manner, you can kneecap them and keen headshots are rewarded. But in later levels, they are tougher and eventually every enemy will have his internal stamina bar and nothing but the predetermined shot count will take them down. Passing this off as an action game is a fallacy. It's an action RPG with the reactions of World of Warcraft's expressionless enemies programmed in. Worst of all is Chris's unending ability to not get out of the way when he needs to be quick on his feet. Not only can't you run and shoot or run and reload, but you can't cancel a reload on the fly. 2001's Halo saw Master Chief able to melee in the middle of a reload if caught unawares or suddenly ambushed. And yes, he could reload while running. The lumbering dolt Redfield stops moving with all the grace of his dribbling rabid foes and starts his three-second reload cycle. Any damage he receives while this is happening is an unavoidable penalty because that gun is going to get reloaded. Same as the pointy stick was always going to hit you. In Capcom's own Street Fighter 4, it's possible to cancel special moves in order to fake out your opponent. A Capcom serious in their assertion that standing there like a knob and fiddling with your weapon highlights the tension rather than just being frustrating. The only horror you end up feeling is of your character's inability to perform the actions that you need to survive. Oh Jesus, he's dead. <laughs> what happened? What happened there? Hey, what happened? <laughs> what happened there? I don't know. Who's Tony? Who was that? Tony? Tony? He's been taken out. Oh, Jesus. The crimson head got him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, dear. Fortunately, to counter this, it's possible to limp through the game on a shred of energy if you keep Sheva close, because she will tap you out, Dom-style, every time you hit critical status. Of course, if she's in trouble, you'll both die. Do it again, try harder next time. Now they have pointy sticks and wooden head masks, which are impervious to magnum shells. They must be made of the same titanium wicker as the impenetrable doors. Sorry, guys, I was killed by a Cavalier King Charles, then. (laughs) (laughs) 